0: This morning we conclude, as I've shared last week, the last couple of weeks, I believe. This morning we conclude our study through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been in it for about a year and a half. And the series that we're going to begin and jump into next week is called "How to." I'm calling it "How to" because I'm really covering a whole span of topics. For from next week up until Thanksgiving, we're going to look at a a multi-week topic that I'm calling "How to Come Together Without Falling Apart." And I realized that during the Thanksgiving, Christmas season, really the holiday season, many times you're uh, just through gatherings with family, with friends, with many others. You come in contact with individuals that you care about, but yet they're individuals that through a number of different things just really know how to try your patience. They really know how to test your faith. They really know how to find the boundaries of your Christianity. And uh, so I thought I'd take a few weeks to look at that topic of how to come together without falling apart so that we can keep our lives centered on Jesus in all things and in all moments. Then as we move into the Christmas season, we'll be looking at a few different topics um, such as how to hear God's voice, how to live a selfless life, a number of things. In the new year, we'll begin to look at um, a multi-week topic on how to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then some of the other topics we're going to look at is how to share your faith, how to overcome discouragement. So a series of things, and it should take us right up to uh, maybe early spring, and then we'll, we'll launch into a new series uh, from there. So I'm excited about it and just excited how, how I believe God's going to use that. In our lives. Well, this morning, if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 16, as I've mentioned, we're concluding the Gospel of Mark and our study through uh, Mark's Gospel and allowing it to speak to us. And this morning, as we look at Mark chapter 16, uh, the final chapter on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as well as the sending out of the disciples, I want to look at it in three parts, really read it through in three sections and share with you three things to consider when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its impact upon our lives. So three things about the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first thing I'll give you uh, is that it is a message with responsibility. I'm sorry, it is a message of hope. The, the, the first one is that it's a message of hope. Let's look together in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, As I mentioned, I believe the first thing about the the resurrection that we need to consider is that it's a message of hope. Really, it's a message of great hope. For you and I, if, as you've grown up, I'm sure that many of you have been, uh, you've heard or you've been exposed to different stories over the years, you've heard of different fairy tales, perhaps you've heard of like, Aesop's fables or all these different stories that we'll hear or fictional tales that we'll hear that many times will be stories and lessons that may have a good moral story, they may have a good point, something that you can take and apply into life, but they're not based on reality, they're, they're, they're fictional, they're fairy tales, they're made up. For others, we may at times, we'll flip on TV. Sometimes I'll, I'll watch a movie with my family, and as the movie begins, it'll, it'll have an opening statement that it'll say, based on actual events, or uh, something along those lines. And usually when I read that, where it says, based on actual events, I, I typically will read that, and I'll take into consideration what they're saying is, for the most part, they're using the real names, or most of the real names. They're using some of the real details, but in the end, they take it. And they, they create the story, they create the movie so that it's engaging to those who are listening or those who are watching. So we'll look at those things and we really live in a life that uh, that has a lot of things that come to us. One of our, obviously, entertainment. We're bombarded with a lot of stories, a lot of things that aren't true and just a lot of entertainment. But when we look at the, the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have to remember that this is not a a story that is fictional, that's been made up. This is not a story with a a good moral point that we're to consider. It's not a a story that's just to be pondered and ultimately to give us some some minor applications in life. But rather, we're reading a a true story, uh, a, a factual account of the events that took place. When you look through the gospel records, you'll see that they're all consistent. And there's a number of details, even in what we've read, small details, that... Most wouldn't even consider but that that point to the eyewitness effect and the eyewitness account as the women came into the tomb and found the tomb that was empty. Um there's a number of things and I could share them with you at a different time, a different date. There's a number of things that we can look at that give evidence to the the, the uh accuracy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but two, very quickly, is that those who opposed Jesus could have easily produced his body. And secondly, when you read through the gospel accounts, you see that the disciples are probably at the front of the line in the lack of belief that Jesus actually has risen from the dead. And so there really, it gives evidence to to the reality that Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead. And so when we read the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we have to remember we're reading a factual story. We're reading history as it's happened. And we're reading a story that is far more than just a story that happened in the past. We're reading a story that should fill our lives with great hope, that it's a message of great hope. That it has great hope that should be impacting your life and in my life. When you begin to look through the New Testament and you study the early church and you study how the early church began to just to come together, how they began to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they began to give testimony to who Jesus was. One of the things we'll see when you look at the New Testament and look at the early church, specifically in the book of Acts, uh, but even into the writings afterwards, is that we'll see they they certainly gave testimony to the the death of Christ on the cross. They gave testimony to the, the freedom from sin. They gave testimony to being in right relationship with God. But the primary thing that they sought to give evidence to, to give testimony to was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look with me. I just want to show you a few verses to help you see um, how consistent this is through Scripture. Look with me in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse number 22. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, the disciples have come together. They're trying to find a new disciple, appoint a new disciple who will replace Judas. You remember Judas has gone and he has hung himself because he's betrayed Jesus. But look at the criteria. They're giving the criteria. And then verse 22, saying, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, talking about the person that they were, were going to identify. And then here's the criteria. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. It says he must be a witness to the resurrection, that they place special emphasis on the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look with me on, if you'll flip on over to Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse, uh, really verse number 2. This is when Peter and John have been called in front of the religious leaders to give an account for the message that they're preaching and the the hope that they're giving in verse 2. The religious leaders, it says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The heart of their message was the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look on over in, in verse 33 of the same chapter, Acts chapter 4, verse 33. It says, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. It says that they continued to powerfully give testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You might say, well, what is the special emphasis on the resurrection? I mean, I understand, I see it significant in the gospels, but understanding why they're placing specific emphasis on the resurrection specifically, because we do believe that he, he died on the cross and he was buried for our sins and he rose from the dead. So you might say, well, why is there that specific emphasis on the resurrection? Well, in first Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul, he's writing specifically about that, and he gives uh, some understanding as to why there was special emphasis on the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, in the very first verses, he says, I've passed on to you what I consider of first importance. And he says that Christ died on the cross, secondly, that he was buried, and third, that he rose from the dead. He says those are the things that are of first importance in his life and in his teaching. And I look at that, just to stop right there, I think personal application in my life and personal application in our own lives is to ask, what are the things that are of first importance in your life? What are the things that are of first importance in your life? Is it recognizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the impact of that on everything in your life? Sometimes we place of first importance things that actually have no eternal significance whatsoever. We place of first importance things like our preferences, things like our comforts, Things like the things that, that we, would, we would measure our life by. But Paul says those aren't the things that are of first importance. Those are temporary com- comforts. But we need to place our first importance on things that are eternal. So Paul says the, the things of first importance include the resurrection from the dead. Then he goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians 15 as you look. He goes on to explain. He says that if the resurrection didn't take place. Then we have no hope for those that we've lost in Christ. Those who've passed away. But then secondly, he says that we are to be pitied among all men. He says our faith is absolutely useless. Our hope is absolutely useless. That's why he says there's such a significance, such an importance on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because if he died on the cross and declared to die on the cross for our sin, and he was buried, but he didn't complete the promise of coming back to life, then it really would give no evidence to what else he'd said about himself. But in Romans chapter 1 verse 2, when you look through the the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 verse 2, it says the gospel is God's promise to us. It's God's promise to mankind. It's his promise to you. And it says that his, his seal of approval on it, his stamp of ownership, his fulfillment of it, perhaps is the better phrase, his fulfillment of that promise to you is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like if I were to promise you something and then I didn't deliver on it, that really would not be a promise. It would be a lie. In Romans chapter 1, it says God gives us the promise, the gospel, the promise that we have hope through Jesus Christ, and he fulfills that promise through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's a reminder when you and I, we look at the, when we look at the story in Mark chapter 16 of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that really it should fill us with great hope, that it's a message of great hope. Have you ever been around someone who is lacking hope? Someone who just seems hopeless? My girls, when they were younger, uh, when they were very, just very small, one of the, the key cartoons that they grew up on was one uh, called Winnie the Pooh. Are many familiar Winnie, with Winnie the Pooh? There is one specific character in Winnie the Pooh that's a donkey. And the donkey's name is Eeyore. And Eeyore is probably just about the most hopeless character that you can find. And he goes through life with a rain cloud over his head. He sees the challenge in everything. He sees the difficulty in everything. He sees the obstacle in everything. He has absolutely no hope. When you're around someone who is hopeless, who has no hope, I mean, they, they quickly begin to try to bring your hope down, to bring your level of faith down. And I really believe one of the biggest contradictions in life is a, Christ, is a hopeless Christian is a Christian who goes around without any hope. A Christian who goes around looking for the false, looking for the issues, looking for the challenges, looking for the difficulties. But that really is a contradiction to what the Christian life is all about. Because our Christian life and our faith and everything that you and I are about and believe in is anchored in the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. That's why the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a message of great hope. And you may hear that this morning, and you may look at your life, and you, you hear me say that a, a, a hopeless Christian is a contradiction, and you might think, well, you know, that doesn't really, it may sound good, but you, if you knew my life, if you knew what I was going through. And, and just to clarify for every individual here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, in John 15, when Jesus talks about our life in him. And the life that we're to draw from him, that he describes it as abiding, is taking up residence in him, and he's going to work in us, and he's going to prune away things that steal the life from us, and he's going to do things that produce new life in us. But in that promise of abiding a new life in him, he promises. He says in John 15, he says that for those who have hope in him that they should expect difficulty in this life that they should expect hardship in this life. So while you may be living out your Christian faith and you may face hopeless situation after hopeless situation and difficulty after difficulty and loss after loss and all of these challenges, you can have the great hope that in all things, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead being the fulfillment of God's promise to you, that you and I, we can have great hope and great confidence that God is the one who has the final say and the final word in every single thing that you may possibly face in this life or the next. That the, the message of the cross, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ fills us with great hope. That it's a reminder that he sustains us in all things. That while things may not go the way you would plan in life, While your desires and your dreams may not come to fruition the way you had wanted, while you may experience loss and tragedy and difficulty, we can have the great hope that the sustainer in us in all things is able to see us through. That's why when you read the Psalms, there's such great comfort for so many because you read David's journey or the psalmist's journey as he's writing and really when, when I read the Psalms, specifically the ones of David, I'm reminded that most often I'm reading kind of the, the the processing of his heart and his faith before God. And as I'm reading how he's his faith and his heart are processing before God, I see that he'll he'll tell himself in, in like Psalms 45, 46 to say, why am I so downcast on my soul? Put my hope in God. He'll talk about his troubles and his difficulties and his hardships. And he'll say that the pit had, had wrapped itself around him and had begun to pull him down. He says, I felt the cords of death tangled around me. But then he said, in the midst of all of my loss, in the midst of all of my discomfort, in the midst of all of my tragedy, I found great hope to know that God was still faithful He says, I found great hope in Psalm 18. He says, I found great hope because the Lord is my rock and my salvation. I found great hope because he's the one that I look to. I found great hope because even in my darkest moment, he is still working to bring about my rescue and my deliverance. So the resurrection is a reminder to you and to me that in all things, we can have great hope through Jesus Christ. The great missionary, E. Stanley Jones, when he was, had returned from India and his body had been ravaged by a very severe stroke and he could barely mutter words, he could barely move, that as he, was, as he was there lying on his bed, he was able to utter words to family members. And as he uttered those words, he says, I need no outer props to hold up my faith. He says, I need no outer props to hold up my faith. What he was saying is that it really does not matter what has happened to me in this life or what has happened to my body. My faith and my hope are found in Jesus Christ and that it doesn't matter what my comforts may be or may not be. There is nothing in this life that can touch the hope that I have in him. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, talking about the hope that you and I have in Jesus Christ, is it says the hope that God gives us does not disappoint us. That the hope that you can find in Jesus Christ this morning will never disappoint you. And friends, as you're here this morning, as I look across the room, and you hear me talking about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, if you find yourself this morning sitting in your seat, and you look at your life and you realize, I do not have the hope, I do not have hope in my life that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, You don't have to wait until the end to have someone pray with you. You don't have to wait until the end to be led in praying a prayer. I would encourage you as you're sitting right there, begin to open your heart and have a very real conversation with God. Begin to open your heart and say, God, I realize that living life in my own way is not producing what I need. And begin to look to him and say, but I place my faith in you right now, Jesus. I invite you to come and to forgive me of my sin. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sin, but I thank you that you rose from the dead so that I can live in victory and live in hope that you have for me. And you can have that conversation with him right now. You don't have to wait until the end, but we are reminded this morning that the message of the resurrection is a message of great hope. Secondly, when I look in scriptures, when I look in Mark chapter 16, I'm reminded that the resurrection is not only a message of hope, it's also a message with responsibility. Look with me in chapter uh, 16, verses 9 through 16. It says, When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, depending on the translation of the Bible that you have, there are a few that may not even have those verses that for you uh, Mark 16 may end with chapter 8. But for many other translations, it'll have a little footnote in this passage, as well as what we'll look at in just in the final point in just a moment, that it's all kind of marked with a footnote, and it says that the earliest manuscripts that are found don't have these verses. And what that means, just to give understanding, we've seen that in a couple of different places as we've studied through the Gospel of Mark together, what that means is that it's not necessarily saying that these, these verses, these passages aren't Scripture. It's just saying that, that trying to understand the, two, the, the records that we do have in history. And what they've found is that there's, when you date back to the different copies that have been found at different archaeological sites, when you date back, you'll find that they, the two oldest copies of, of the Gospel of Mark that they have on record don't have verses 9 through, through verse 20. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, that it wasn't a part of what Mark wrote. What it simply means is that there may, the, the other copies that had had this part originally had been lost, and those are the, the most dated ones that they have, and it was missing those final ones. Or the other explanation that is given that's very simple is that the later verses were added to help bring clarity to some questions that were being asked by the early churches that were reading it. And if you look at what's been added, it's not, it's not inconsistent with, with what you find in all the other Gospels that is completely consistent with what's in all of the other Gospels. So if for nothing else, you have a part of one of the other Gospels here to bring clarity to what's being said. And it's very consistent with with what has been shared throughout the Gospels. So it doesn't create a contradiction, nor does it put any any doctrine uh, of the Christian faith in question because, again, it's validated through the other Gospels. But what we see when we read verses 9 through 16 is that it's a message with responsibility. The message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a message... With responsibility, and it's a twofold responsibility. It's a twofold responsibility for you and for me. The first one is that it comes with a responsibility to believe. Look in verse. uh, If you look in verse eleven, this is where the angels are telling the women who have just found the tomb empty. Says there. Says go and tell his disciples. Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. It says you need to believe. What Jesus told you at the beginning, that there's a responsibility to believe what it was that Jesus had said. He said he's there just as he told you. He's risen from the dead just as he told you, that they had a responsibility to believe. But then I want you to to look at this with me in verse 11 again. Look at verse 11. It says, when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, look what the disciples did. They did not believe it. Verse 12, after Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country, these returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. These are Jesus' disciples. These are the ones he's been talking to. Looking on in verse 14, later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Is that he, there's this continual, persistent unbelief in those who'd been following him. That the, the message of the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, has a message with responsibility. And for you and me, the first part is a responsibility to believe in our own lives. To believe in our own lives what it is that Jesus has said. When you look in verse 14 one more time. It says he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. It says that he rebuked them. We oftentimes will read a passage like this, or even the verses after, where Jesus is sending out the disciples. He's telling telling them they're going to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's really a summary of what we find in in Matthew as well, in the, the what we call the Great Commission. But I would suggest reading what we see here in Mark 16. Before there was the Great Commission, there really was the Great Rebuke. Jesus is rebuking his disciples, the ones that he's counting on to go forward and to carry the message of the resurrection. He's rebuking them for their lack of faith, for their persistent unbelief. He's, He's continually rebuking them. We see in just these few verses three different times where it speaks to their lack of faith and their lack of trust in him. And I really believe the root issue with his disciples, as really it is the root issue with Each one of us is that when it comes to a lack of belief, the lack of belief is always it's rooted in a lack of either hearing or understanding what God's word says. It's rooted in a lack of hearing or understanding or perhaps how we decide we want to believe in what it is that Jesus said. If you look at the disciples, he's repeatedly told them very blatantly that he is going to be crucified, that he's going to die, and that he's going to rise again in three days. But yet they continued to not believe. In fact, what they did was they looked at what Jesus was saying and they looked what he was doing. They ran it through their own filter and they were looking for their own personal benefit and their own personal gain throughout. They were not focused on eternal things. They were focused on the temporary. They were focused on how they could be better, how they could be first, how their preferences could be met. And it really led to a heart of unbelief. And I see this is that when I see what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 16, is that he's identifying, it's a, there's a, it's a message of responsibility, there's a responsibility for belief, and he realizes that before they can go even go out and begin to be about the Great Commission. Before they can even be sent out and to begin to go in the power of the Holy Spirit to give testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he realizes that he must deal and address the heart issue of unbelief, the hardness of heart and the stubborn refusal to to believe. He's addressing their lack of faith before they're able to go out in the Great Commission. And so I look at that and I look at what Jesus has done. He's addressing the lack of faith. Before he can send them out on the Great Commission. And I'm led to wonder that if we if we lack being about the Great Commission, going and taking the gospel to others, if we lack going and being about the Great Commission, is that evidence of perhaps lack of faith in our own lives? Just to consider it for a moment. Jesus said he needed to address the lack of faith before they could be effective in going about the Great Commission. So if we lack in being effective or going about the Great Commission, going and sharing the gospel with others, does that point to an evidence of a lack of faith in our own lives? Perhaps a lack of understanding the impact of the gospel in our own lives, the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our own lives. And I would just encourage you when it comes to recognizing that, and you might say, well, that leap is is kind of big. It's kind of broad when you go from a lack of belief to from why i'm not sharing my faith and i would just give you a word of caution when it comes to unbelief is that unbelief is never dormant unbelief is never dormant it's never just isolated to one piece and one part of your life is that if you, if you don't take Jesus at his word and move in obedience to share our faith, the responsibility that we have to, to believe in of ourselves and realizing that that belief carries a responsibility to share others. That that, that lack of belief to care, follow through on what Jesus said is that it, it will creep into many other parts of your life. It might begin with a lack of belief when you've been praying over a matter again and again and again and you've been giving it to God repeatedly and as you continue to give it to God and continue to present it to Him that within your mind while you're, you're praying these prayers that you realize there's a lack of faith of really believing that God could possibly answer this prayer. It's been so long or the need is so big and before long that can easily lead to a questioning, well, does God really answer our prayers? Does, do our prayers really matter? And then we can begin this this slide in our faith continually, and it really comes down to a lack of belief. Believing what Jesus said and believing it in our own lives. Not only does it come as a message of responsibility with a message to, it's a responsibility to believe, but secondly, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes with a responsibility to share. It's a responsibility to share, not just to believe, but to share. Look in verse 7. Back to the women at the tomb. The angels say, as soon as they hear about the resurrection, he says, but go tell. Go tell his disciples and Peter. He says, go tell. You have been entrusted with this information. Now you have a responsibility to tell it to others. And then if you look on in in verse 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He says to go and to preach. Go and take the gospel. Be a part of taking the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to be an active part in taking the gospel into all the world. And we look at that and we have to realize when I look at what Jesus is, is telling his disciples is that it's a, it's, he's given an assignment to every church, to every believer, to every generation for this entire lifetime. That it's an assignment for you and for me. And I'm struck by the fact when I look in Mark 16, as well as when I look in, in Matthew's account of the Great Commission, when I, when I look at this, is that there really are no limits or exclusions that Jesus includes. In fact, in verse 20, when he's telling his disciples to go out, it says, The Lord worked with them. It says, The Lord worked with them. What God was doing was dependent on their willing to go and be available that the the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes with a responsibility to share that there are no limits there are no exclusions and when i begin to look through the new testament when you study through the New Testament and you see the pattern that's there, we've talked about uh, in our, just kind of our uh, strategy statement, the upward, inward, outward, forward. It's the, the strategy of how we see God working in his early church in our own lives, that there's upward dependence on God, that there's inward and re- dependence on the Holy Spirit and inward relationship with one another. There's outward influence and outward impact into the community. And as we're living in that cycle that we see the purposes of God move forward. One of the things that I see in scripture is that when that's taking place and we're moving in dependence on him is that the the normal christian life according to the new testament standard the normal christian life involves a willingness to share our faith with others that the normal christian life involves a willingness to give testimony to the hope that we have in jesus christ that's why jesus sent them in mark chapter 16 he told them to go and to share and so i would just suggest and and again I, i say this gently but i say it with responsibility on my part is that a lack of willingness to share our faith could perhaps show to a lack of understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in us because he's sending us with an assignment. He's sending us with a responsibility and that responsibility includes a willingness to share. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 17, it's a verse that I'll often quote when we're moving into our altar time. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that, that we're created into a new creature, into a new being. That God is, that takes away the old of who we are and he makes us into a brand new person. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. But then the very next verse says the continued work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is that he then entrusts to every believer a responsibility to take the faith, to take the hope that we have in Jesus and share it with others. It says that he makes you and he makes me an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say is that Christ's love compels us. So it says the, the Holy Spirit produces new life in us and then he compels us to go. He gives us the responsibility to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ with others. So if, and again, I, just, I say this gently, but there's no, no other way to say it than what scripture says or teaches us. But that when we look in Scripture is that if we look and we, have the holy, we believe the Holy Spirit's working in us, but there's a lack of a willingness to share our faith, or there's a lack of desire to share our faith, then I would suggest that you've settled for less than what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. You've misunderstood his work to believe that perhaps it's only inward focus and only meant for me or only meant for your life or only for your family and only meant to bless you but it's meant to be a, a he's meant to to flow continually through your life and all things and i think the best picture that i can get is just again growing up in alaska seeing rivers and lakes and all these things is that a lake would grow stagnant if only it had water flowing into it It had to be flowing out as well. And in our own lives, that the work of the Holy Spirit in you and in me and the the hope that we have through Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead includes a responsibility to let the Holy Spirit flow through our lives with this message of hope into the lives of others, that it comes with a responsibility to share. And then lastly, the, the third thing that I would give you this morning, not only is it a message of hope, not only is it a message with responsibility, But lastly, it's a message with power. Look with me in verse 17. Jesus says this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. And it's implied that they'll believe. It's implied that they're going and they're sharing it with others. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not harm them at all. They will place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed His word by signs—the signs that accompanying it. What Jesus tells His disciples, and it really is a direct something that he's something that he's directly telling you, and he's telling me, is that he expects his his standard. For those believers who have placed their faith in him, who believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, recognize the responsibility that we have then to share it, is that his desire is that for every believer to be a continuation of the supernatural work of Jesus Christ through their life that where they go, they recognize. And I was just telling my daughter, my oldest daughter Kelsey's in Pittsburgh. I was just telling her this this past week with something she was facing and reminding her something that I'll tell you often is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, for every believer here, the Holy Spirit is living within you. And by biblical standards, that wherever you set your foot, whatever place you walk into, you immediately carry the authority of another realm into that moment. You carry, carry the power and the authority of the risen Christ in the, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you into that moment. And as we're willing to follow him, we're willing to say yes, we're re- willing to take faith steps and steps of risk that would involve perhaps looking foolish otherwise, that as we're willing to step out and say yes and give testimony to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and be willing to allow him to work through us, he says that we will become a supernatural extension of the work of Jesus in us. And you might look in, in verse 18, and you'll see where it says that they will pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not harm them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people, and they will get well. But that's specifically of handling snakes and drinking poison. And I've, I know individuals who will foolishly take this passage, or heard of individuals who will foolishly take this passage and will, will try to test the faithfulness of God. I had someone that was, they were talking with me about just the church here, maybe a year, a couple of years ago, and he was doing some community service for the church and just helping us with things and was just asking about, said, well, kind of tell me a little bit about Assemblies of God Church, and I was just sharing with him about being in a Pentecostal church and what that means, and and he and I would gotten to know him a little bit, and he just said, he said, well, do you guys, do you guys like pull out snakes and handle them? I said, no, you have to bring your own snake. I explained to him that what it's really meaning is that it's not to test God's faithfulness, faithfulness, but his willingness to step out in faith and leave the details to him, to trust him in all things. And so when I look at this and I realize what Jesus is telling his disciples is that his intent is for his disciples to be a continuation of his ministry, what he's saying is that his intent is that all the gospel is brought through all the believers with all the power, to all the world, all the gospel through all believers with all the power through all the world, and that includes you. That He wants to use you, and He wants to use me. And something we are going to look at in, in the weeks ahead is specifically talking about relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to go into a full another message right now to explain an understanding in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But what I would encourage you this morning, and I do plan to end service this morning with the altars being open and available for those who, are in, who would desire to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but if you're here this morning and perhaps you have questions about that and you, you, you have desired to receive the Holy Spirit, a few things the Bible teaches us about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and again, just giving you br- very briefly, if you'd love more information, we could set up a time and I could talk with you more about that. What the Bible tells us when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I think the number one thing that we need to remember is that it's a gift that God desires every receiver to to receive, that it's a gift that Jesus extends to every single believer. John the Baptist said that Jesus is the one who comes and baptizes with the Holy Spirit, that it's a gift that's extended to every single believer. Sometimes we, we think we'll look and we'll question and wonder is there something wrong with me if I've prayed to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and I haven't and to realize that it's a gift that he wants to extend to every single believer. Secondly, to remember when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not only is it a gift that he desires to extend to every single believer is that just because we don't understand all of, of how it works and how the Holy Spirit works through us, just because we don't understand it doesn't make it untrue. That our measure of, of of what we live by is not our feelings it 's by god 's word, and we allow the truth of god 's Word to dictate our our feelings to really dictate our experience, so we can 't let our experience decide what is true in god 's word and so just because we don 't necessarily understand you may understand all of it doesn 't make it untrue. A third thing about the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, as is taught in scripture, is that it tells us in Acts chapter two specifically, and, and it continues to teach in that in the New Testament. Is that when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that while he comes and he takes up residence within us and he overflows within us, that what the Bible tells us is that the initial sign of that is that you're given a supernatural language to pray in. That it, it can be in an unlearned human language, it can be in a heavenly language. I've seen it both ways. But that is to understand and to realize that it's the gift of the Holy Spirit is something that God wants for each and every one. And one more thing about it is to realize as the Holy Spirit comes and he takes residence and not only takes up residence and he fills within us, it's never about you or I getting more of him. It's never about getting more of him. But rather it's about him getting more of us. Walking in a greater level of submission, a greater level of surrender and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you and to work through me. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand with me this morning as we prepare to close.